From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And let me be the first to welcome you back. This is the Cannabis Podcast, episode 131. Maybe this is the very first time you've paid us a visit. If it is, an especially warm welcome for you. I had, we've got 30 or 40 minutes of information about the plant that I love, and perhaps you do too, cannabis. Before we get too far, let me remind you, this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction, and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In episode 131, we are going to look at how safe is secondhand cannabis smoke. Now, you don't often get an opportunity to smoke around other people. Maybe that will change in the future. But a story from my buddy David Wiley at theounce.ca on that. We have a number of stories from stratcan.com in this episode. The first is going to talk about BC cannabis sales increasing as the price continues to drop. We go to MJ Biz Daily for a story about more Canadian cannabis firms apparently are turning in their rivals over alleged misdeeds, which is kind of nasty. I thought we were all supposed to play in the same ballpark here. <laughs> we have a story, another one from Stratcan. This on the fact of we have talked about Tantalus before many, many times. Well, Tantalus has a new direction. In fact, they have just been purchased. We've got that story for you. And also from Stratcan.com. I think it was last episode we talked about the very first store being authorized in Mississauga, Ontario. Uh, Well, apparently it wasn't the only store that was happening in Mississauga, Ontario, because police have shut down an illicit cannabis store in Mississauga. We had that story. On Cultivar Corner, it is Tweed, Gorilla Berry. Quite a nice flower. Quite a nice buzz. That's coming up on Cultivar Corner. All of that and more on episode 131 of the Cannabis Podcast. Before we get too far along, let me, of course, thank you for being a listener. I really appreciate the fact that you were here. I also want to thank some sponsors, the people who helped me out just a little bit more. Thank you to Kevin and Jordana, who are doing so at buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast. If you feel so inclined and you like what you hear, you can go there too and perhaps buy me a doobie. Or you can go to Patreon and you can become a patron, just like Tony, Roger, and Rob have. And let me welcome a new patron, Justin. Thanks for coming along, Justin. I'm glad you're here for the ride, and I hope you're going to enjoy the ride just like we do. Now, let's get to our first story. Now, you notice sometimes in the introduction I say that and more in this episode. Sometimes there is more, sometimes there isn't, and, well, guess what? This is not time where there is. <laughs> Top five big moments in cannabis history. This is from 420intel.com. Here's a handful of significant milestones in the history of cannabis. The first known mention in pharmacopoeia, circa 2800 B.C., there's plenty of evidence to suggest the ancient use of cannabis in multiple civilizations dating back 10,000 years and beyond. According to the University of Sydney's Lambert Initiative, Emperor Shenong's Pharmacopoeia, classic of the Materia Medica, was one of the first to formally list cannabis as a medicine in circa 2800 BC. The first arrest under the Marijuana Tax Act was in 1937. We're far from seeing the last cannabis prisoner, but we know who was the first. Ironically, adult-use pioneer state Colorado was where the first cannabis arrest took place. One day after the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 went into effect, Moses Baca, 23, was arrested in Denver, Colorado. Police allegedly found a quarter ounce of reefer in his drawer at a rooming house as they were arresting him for a drunk and disturbance charge. A few days later, bootlegger Samuel R. Caldwell was also arrested and charged with selling marijuana. 
Baca served 18 months in the U.S. penitentiary, Leavenworth, in Kansas, the same place Caldwell was held. One year after getting busted for growing pot, Washington, D.C. Superior Court Judge James A. Washington ruled on November 24, 1976, that Robert Randall had established a defense of medical necessity to use cannabis for his glaucoma. Randall then became the nation's first medical cannabis patient and received a regular supply of 300 joints per month provided by the federal government from their cultivation site at the University of Mississippi. Randall's case eventually led to the FDA's Compassionate Investigational New Drug Program, which allows certain people to get experimental cannabis treatments before they've gone through rigorous approvals. New Mexico was the first state to recognize the medical properties of cannabis, establishing a therapeutic research program for glaucoma and chemotherapy on February 21, 1978. But it was California's Proposition 215, which created the first major statewide medical cannabis program and resulted in the biggest change. California voters approved Proposition 215 with over 55% in favor via an initiative on November 5, 1996. Uruguay became the first country to legalize the cultivation, sale, and possession of cannabis on December 10, 2013. Uruguay decriminalized the possession of the plant in 1974, but it took a lot of time to move forward to the legalization of possession and sale. Nearly one year later, in August 2014, Uruguay legalized the cultivation of up to six plants at home and formed cannabis social clubs and state-controlled cannabis dispensaries. It would take about four years for the country to finalize regulations. Apparently, we should have paid a bit more attention to Uruguay. I'm going to add one more note. This is the sixth item in the history of cannabis, October 17, 2018, the day that cannabis was legalized for recreational use in Canada. And here we are now almost five years later, and we're still suffering from a lot of the things that apparently Uruguay recognized and had solutions for. <laughs> An interesting beginning to our episode today. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And it's interesting, sometimes when you clean up, because you find, well, let me speak for myself, and perhaps this doesn't happen to you. Sometimes when I clean up the studio, I find some joints that I forgot about. And that's what is the inspiration for the episode today. But unfortunately, I have no idea what it was. It was just a nice little joint that I thought was pretty good and thought I'd smoke it. So that brings us to today. Our first story is from stratcan.com. And this is about BC cannabis sales increasing as the price continues to drop. Sales of smaller skewed dried flowers, such as 1 gram and 3.5 grams, declined overall, while larger formats such as 7 gram, 14 gram, 28 gram, and 30 gram increased. Sales of cannabis extracts, including the increasingly popular infused pre-roll category, saw the most significant year-over-year -year increase of 76.4% in total units sold and a 51.5% increase in year-over-year -year sales. The BCLDB, which oversees wholesale cannabis sales and distribution in the province, saw more than 30,000 kilograms of wholesale cannabis sales, more than a 32% increase from the same period last year. Wholesale increased by nearly 16% to more than 127 million, while the number of stores in BC increased from 442 to 487 at the end of June 2023. The average price of cannabis also continued to decline in the province to a new low of $4.14, while the average cost of dried cannabis dropped to $3.40 a gram. Total dollar sales of 1 gram, 3.5 gram, 7 gram, 14 gram, and 28 gram offerings of dried flour priced at more than $5 a gram all declined significantly compared to the same period last year. Eighth, selling for $5 a gram or less increased, as did 7 gram and 14 gram SKUs. The 28 gram offerings priced at $3 a gram or less increased while all other prices declined. 
Dollar sales of beverages increased by just over 20% year-over-year, while edible sales increased by just 0.3%. Overall, dried flower sales were down 4.4%, and ingestible extracts like cannabis oils and capsules, driven by high sales of now-discontinued products like jolts and glitches, were up by 5.6%. Inhalable extracts like vape pens, shatter, hash, and rosins, as well as infused pre-rolls, increased by a whopping 56.5%. Pre-roll sales increased by 14.2, while seed sales dropped by 7.1%, and sales of cannabis topicals decreased by 11%. BC's direct delivery program, which launched in August of 2022, allowing some small-scale cannabis growers located in the province to ship directly to retailers without going through the LDB Central Distribution Warehouse, saw 780,000 grams sold for a total of $3.6 million in sales. The average price per gram sold through the direct delivery program was $4.70, or $4.02 for flour. And the trend, as we have been seeing it from the sizing and the formats that are available, that's something that I have been seeing myself. When we first started this podcast um, in December of 2018, the primary product you could get was one gram and three and a half. There were a ton of three and a half grams available and there continued to be. And we saw in our store itself, the amount of space we had in our stock room devoted to three and a half was probably a a third of the entire room. Well, that's changed. (laughs) You may have noticed when you're going into your cannabis stores these days, there's not as many eighths available. Our inventory has cut down considerably from that. And the good part of that is now there's opportunity for more seven grams, more 14 grams, and more 28 grams. All of those larger formats are much bigger sellers. People are understanding that there is some value in buying a larger portion. And that hasn't made the decline on the pre-rolls that I I thought it might have. People are, I guess, still buying pre-rolls for special occasions. But certainly the sizing of our cannabis packaging has changed. The three and a halves, I'm not sure we're going to be seeing them for too much longer. Because they are a decline, and obviously for some of the growers, they have to actually cut their buds up to fit in those three and a half grab jars. So it'll be interesting to see how long that becomes a predominant size in the cannabis market, or will we go to simply seven grams as our bottom end, and perhaps maybe still have a gram so you can have a taste. It's always a bit of a debate, I know. What's your particular favorite when you're buying your cannabis? THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're going back to a company that we haven't tried any weed from for a long time. But that's going to change today because we are doing Tweed Gorilla Berry. Now, I do remember in the early days with some of the Tweed stuff, there was concern about mm, perhaps the word I'm looking for is the quality. Uh, I seem to remember getting some (laughs) weed that was dustable. In other words, when I pulled it out of the jar, it crumbled to dust in my fingers. (laughs) Such is not the case with what we're dealing with today which is Gorilla Berry. And Gorilla Berry, and there is a little information, a lot of information on the Tweed website, but not a lot of detail in terms of the specifics of what I'm looking for. So this is Tweed Gorilla Berry. It's an indica strain, comes from a cross of Frosted Kush and Gorilla and Triangle Kush and Blueberry. 
Some associate flavor and aroma notes of berry, citrus, and gas with the Gorilla Berry strain. And as I stick my nose into the jar, it originally came in a 14-gram bag. I quickly put that out and put it into one of my nice glass jars, which I keep in a nice, cool, dry place. Stores the cannabis very nicely. And what am I dealing with on this? The Gorilla Berry. This was a 14-gram bag. THC sitting at 32.2%. And my terpenes are sitting at 2.41. And the terpenes involved, I got terpinaline at 0.67. Beta-caryophylline, 0.42. And uh, beta-osamine at 0.18. And what kind of notes am I getting? Definitely some citrus. Mm, and definitely some gas. Pretty big on the gas, in fact. Let me pull out one of these buds. And decent sized buds. Uh, nothing really huge in the bag, but also uh, not too many really popcorn buds. So I was kind of pleased by that. Pull out my jeweler's loop and let's take a look for some trichome, do some trichome hunting. Now, this is something that I have noticed of late in, in much of the weed that I've been looking at. Now, we talk about the frosted weed, and and while we haven't tried the effects of this one yet, I have to say, as I look on the outside of it, I'm not seeing a lot of frosting. <laughs> I mean, there is some, uh, but and I, I want to be specific. I've noticed this in a lot of weed I've looked at lately, where it's just kind of green, and, and there's not a lot of trichomes sitting on there. Is that because they fell off during the processing? I don't know. But some nice aromas on that. Time for me to get a joint together, and let's get the package ready for the Air Max vaporizer, and let's get Gorilla Berry into our lungs and see what effect it has. Lots of information on the Tweed site, but not many of the specifics. I guess part of the reason is because they got so many strains they're dealing with right now. And my understanding is that they are farming out this activity, if I could use that phrase. Maybe it's the other way around. Um, they have outsourced where they're growing or where they're coming from. And when they bring in some craft growers, it kind of ups their quality a little bit. And I think that's what's been happening with the folks at Tweed. And I've got my joint ready to roll. That'll allow me to get the stuff ready for the Air Max. And we will give a try to Gorilla Berry. Now, this is an indica, very clearly an indica. And I had a recent question, uh, actually from Justin, who was my new patrons on Patreon, and wanted more details on indica and sativa. Not really sure about what the differences are. So that's a good idea. Well, we'll I think we'll do that in a future episode. And who knows, maybe it'll be this episode too, where, where we'll dive in a little bit with a better explanation and more explanation on what that means when we're talking sativa and indica. Of course, we've had many discussions as well where we think that's not something we should be talking about. That instead, we should be thinking more of the chemotype of the cannabis rather than what type of plant it is, whether indica or sativa. Uh, so that's a matter of debate as well, but I think that's something we will discuss in the future. Everything is ready. Time to power up the Air Max. I got my joint ready for a little taste, and I guess let's start with the joint. So this is Tweed Gorilla Berry, and as I said, the THC sitting at 32.33.2%, and in typical cultivar corner fashion, 
This is my first hit of the day, and let's see what the effect is. Now, it's going to be an indica, so this may be the bad time for me to do this. <laughs> first thing in the morning on a Friday morning. But hey, I kind of like to live on the edge. I've got the Air Max warming up. I got my first hit of the joint in my lungs. Mm, nice and smooth. Definitely some of those gassy notes. Mm, and that was a really nice bud that I pulled out. Really nicely trimmed. Uh, yeah, they did an effective job on that. Filled the jar with aroma at that's 2.41% terpenes. And the Air Max is approaching temperature. Again, fairly smooth smoke. Not getting a lot of harshness as I draw that into my lungs in this early morning. And almost ready on the Air Max. What temperature am I going for? I'm going for 190 giving me a little bit of taste and enough to give me some vapor. So let's try it from taste. Uh, Gorilla Berry from Tweed. Mm. And once again, as soon as you move to the vaporizer, the, the flavors just come bursting forth. A bit more of the berry notes coming out when I take it out of the vaporizer. And I would say probably on the joint, I'm getting more of the gassy notes, more of the gas, a little bit on the inhale and more on the exhale, perhaps. Good taste, though. I like the flavor. A little berry, a little citrus, a little gas all come together rather nice to create a very pleasing effect. Now, as mentioned before, uh, the Air Max, the size of the bowl could be a bit bigger. <laughs> and that just means that over the course of a cultivar corner, I really got to do two bowlfuls of that. Finish the first one. It's all nice and dark now. want to make sure I don't pack it too tight. Oh, and I am starting to get some feel for this too. Okay, I got a new bowl. Yeah, a lot more of those berry notes come through in the vaporizer. Oh, that's a really nice hit. Oh, here's the happy eyes. Mmm. Oh, a little rush down my back. <laughs> Always a blast when you're smoking weed. Coming on nicely. Mmm. Really liking how the happy eyes are coming on here. That sense of euphoria that we absolutely love with cannabis. <laughs> For me, that's one of the big reasons why I like to imbibe. And it's especially satisfying when it's the first hit of the day and that euphoria just comes bursting forth with those lovely happy eyes and that wonderful feeling of, ah, I'm stoned and I love it. <laughs> Mm. And I'm about halfway down the joint. Finished a couple bowls of the Air Max. And I think we have validated enough. The Tweed has stepped up their game. 
Really nice looking flower. Uh, it looks like it was tended really well. Nice aromas. Good nose on that. Nice bag appeal. Mm. It was a nice 14 bag, 14 gram bag that I picked up. That's another discussion, probably later on in this podcast, where we'll talk about the changing formats of our cannabis flower. But regardless of the format, it, the big factor is, does it work for us? And I have to say, the Gorilla Berry has... I, I don't do very good Gorilla noises. <laughs> and we have just proved that fact. But regardless of that, the Tweed Gorilla Berry has given me a pretty good buzz on this Friday morning. It could work just as well for you. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And for this story, we are going to theounce.ca, run by my buddy David Wiley. And this is a special to theounce.ca from Dr. Beth Cohen and the conversation. While tobacco use is declining among adults, cannabis use is increasing. Laws and policies regulating the use of tobacco and cannabis are also moving in different directions. That's raising questions about secondhand cannabis smoke. Tobacco policies are becoming more restrictive, with bans on smoking in public places and limits on sales, such as bans on flavored products. In contrast, more countries are legalizing cannabis for medical or recreational use, and there are efforts to allow exceptions for cannabis in smoke-free laws. These changes mean an increasing number of people are likely to get exposed to cannabis smoke. I am a primary care doctor and researcher in a U.S. state where cannabis is now legal for medical and recreational use. My colleagues and I were interested in how opinions about tobacco and cannabis smoke safety have been changing during this time of growing cannabis use and marketing. In our survey of over 5,000 American adults in 2017, 20, and 21, we found that people increasingly felt that exposure to cannabis smoke was safer than tobacco smoke. In 2017, 26% of people thought it was safer to smoke a cannabis joint than a cigarette daily. In 2021, over 44% chose cannabis as a safer option. People were similarly more likely to rate secondhand cannabis smoke as being completely safe compared with tobacco smoke, even for vulnerable groups such as children and pregnant women. Despite these views, emerging research raises concerns about the health effects of cannabis smoke exposure. Decades of research and hundreds of studies have linked tobacco smoke to multiple types of cancer and to cardiovascular disease. However, far fewer studies have been done on the long-term effects of cannabis smoke. Since cannabis remains illegal at the federal level in the U.S., it is more challenging for scientists to study. It's been particularly hard to study health outcomes that may take a long time and heavier exposure to develop. Recent reviews of research on cannabis and cancer or cardiovascular disease found these studies inadequate because they contained relatively few people with heavy exposure, didn't follow people for a long enough time, or didn't properly account for cigarette smoking. Many advocates point to the lack of clear findings on negative health effects of cannabis smoke exposure as proof of its harmlessness. However, my colleagues and I feel that this is an example of the famous scientific quote that absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Scientists have identified hundreds of chemicals in both cannabis and tobacco smoke, and they share many of the same carcinogens and toxins. Combustion of tobacco and cannabis, whether by smoking or vaping, also releases particles that can be inhaled deep into the lungs and cause tissue damage. Animal studies on the effects of secondhand tobacco and cannabis smoke show similar concerning effects on the cardiovascular system. These include impairments in blood vessel dilation, increased blood pressure, and reduced heart function. The more research is needed to determine the risk of lung cancer, heart attacks, and strokes caused by cannabis smoke, 
What is already known has raised concerns among public health agencies. How people perceive the safety of cannabis has important implications for its use in public policy. Researchers know from studying cannabis and other substances that if people think something is less risky, they're more likely to use it. Opinions on cannabis safety will also shape medical and recreational cannabis use laws and other policies, such as whether cannabis smoke will be treated like tobacco smoke or whether exceptions will be made in smoke-free air laws. Part of the complexity in decisions about cannabis use is that, unlike tobacco, clinical trials have demonstrated that cannabis can have benefits in certain settings. These include managing specific types of chronic pain, reducing nausea and vomiting associated with chemotherapy, and increasing appetite and weight gain in those with HIV-AIDS. Notably, many of these studies were not based on smoking or vaped cannabis. Unfortunately, though Googling cannabis will return thousands of hits about the health benefits of cannabis, many of these claims aren't supported by scientific research. And that article written by Dr. Beth Cooper, an internist and clinical investigator who conducts research on the use and perceptions of cannabis and tobacco, she is a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And thanks to David Wiley at theaus.ca for publishing it. And back to StratCan.com for a follow-up story, and this one an opportunity for us to follow up on a story that we have been covering for quite a while. On the podcast, we've been talking about Tantalus Labs and their product for many, many years. We, in fact, had Dan Sutton, the CEO of Tantalus Labs, on the podcast, talking about his drive for Stand for Craft and the problems that were associated with the excise tax and the cannabis companies. We talked about the fact that Tantalus Labs said they were doing a restructuring when they laid off 90-95% of their employees. Really pleased to tell you that we are going to StratCan.com for this story about Atlantic Cultivation purchasing the Tantalus brand and products. A cannabis producer in Newfoundland has completed a purchase of cannabis from a BC producer as it deals with restructuring. Atlantic Cultivation in St. John's, Newfoundland, a cannabis producer that also operates retail stores in Newfoundland, recently completed a purchase of cannabis from Tantalus Labs, located in British Columbia, as well as control of the Tantalus brand. The sale includes the transfer of 70,850 units of packaged and unstamped inventory, including dried flour, pre-rolls and infused pre-rolls, and over 33,000 units of seeds, as well as some equipment like trimming machines and fans. Tantalus products will soon be available in Atlantic Cultivation's retail stores in Newfoundland and Labrador. This acquisition is founded upon our shared values reflecting our unwavering commitment, said Chris Crosby, the founder and COO of Atlantic Cultivation, in a press release. He went on to say that the deal reflects the two companies' shared values. We persist in our mission to elevate cannabis quality and ensure its widespread accessibility. The move was part of a sale approved by the court following Tantalus Labs' recent announcement that it had given notice to its creditors and would be pursuing bankruptcy. The court ruled in July that the sale could happen, despite efforts by the CRA to destroy the products, as its excise license was set to expire on July 10, 2023. Any sales of products would require an excise license. CRA told the court that on June 12, 2003, Tantalus had agreed to terms that would include seven monthly payments of $35,000, in addition to its 11 ongoing payments for monthly excise taxes due, all pending notice of intent from Tantalus. According to court records, the CRA agreement with Tantalus also stated that if the payments were not made on the agreed timeline, the CRA may have to take legal action without further notice, including garnishing income, directing the sheriff to seize and sell assets, and use any other legal means to collect the amount due. Tantalus creditor, SunGrown Mortgage Corp., had threatened to enforce its security against the property where Tantalus operates, 
unless the letter agreed to several key points, including recognizing a debt of over $5.5 million owed to Sungrown as of June 2023. Total debts for Tantalus were listed as over $14 million, including more than $4 million to the CRA. Really nice to see that the Tantalus name will live on and Atlantic Cultivation purchasing that, and I know from discussions with some of the reps in British Columbia, we're likely going to see some of that Tantalus product here very soon as well. And that's always good news when a product comes back to life, especially one that had a pretty good reputation. An episode or two ago, might even have been last episode, we talked about the fact that Mississauga, Ontario, was finally allowing their first legal weed store. Which is why I find this story so interesting. This is another one from Strackhand.com. The Peel Regional Police executed a search warrant at an unlicensed cannabis store in Mississauga on Friday, August 25th, leading to the arrest of two men. Investigators from the Peel Regional Police Specialized Enforcement Bureau opened an investigation into the illegal cannabis store earlier this month, located in the area of Dundas and Huron-Ontario Street in Mississauga. Police say the store has shown a blatant disregard for law enforcement, noting that eight search warrants were executed at the location between January 2019 and December 2022, along with numerous calls for service. The city of Mississauga also worked with the PRB-SEB officers to establish an enhanced physical barrier of large concrete blocks to prohibit entrance to the establishment. Toronto has also used a similar approach with mixed results to deal with unlicensed dispensaries. While serving the warrant, police say they seized various properties, including drugs, drug paraphernalia, Canadian currency, televisions, and a black handgun, a BB gun. Police arrested Dennis Arenberg, a 42-year-old man from Mississauga, charged with possession for the purpose of distributing and possessing cannabis for the purpose of selling, and Hong An Vu, a 28-year-old man from Toronto, charged with possession of property obtained by crime, possession for the purpose of distributing, and possession of cannabis for the purpose of selling. Both were released on an undertaking to appear in the Ontario Court of Justice in Brampton at a later date. As of publishing this article, Weed Relief appears to still operate an online store, advertising cannabis at $13 a gram or as low as $50 an ounce. Weed Relief was mentioned in a municipal report from the city of Mississauga when it was discussing allowing legal stores in the city earlier this year, noting the police had raided it several times in the past, seizing thousands of dollars worth of cash and cannabis each time. So the the wheel of cannabis retail continues to churn and turn in Mississauga. From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And for our last story of the day, it's a story that I wish I didn't have to read. Because I was really hoping that when we legalized cannabis in Canada and as many people came over from the legacy market into what we call the legal world, that we would all be working towards the same goal to make this a better industry, to make it better for everybody. Well, apparently there's the occasional person who wants to stab somebody in the back. This is a story written by Matt Lamers from mjbizdaily.com. Canadian cannabis firms increasingly flag rivals over alleged misdeeds. More Canadian cannabis operators than ever are lodging complaints against rival businesses over alleged transgressions or other concerns, a phenomenon being driven by intense competition and desperate companies looking for any edge they can get, according to experts. Last year, there were 706 such complaints from regulated cannabis businesses about other regulated operators. That's a substantial increase from 2021 when 214 complaints were filed, and 2020 in which there were 182 complaints. 
Health Canada notes that Canadians may report concerns through an online form that the regulator uses to collect complaints. All concerns and complaints brought to Health Canada's attention are taken seriously, including any concerns related to the activities of federal license holders. Actions taken will be consistent with Health Canada's compliance and enforcement policy for the Cannabis Act, with the objective of achieving compliance using the most appropriate level of intervention. Many cannabis companies engage in all sorts of marketing conduct that is right on the line of being compliant, or in some cases, is blatantly non-compliant. Chad Finkelstein, a partner at Toronto-based law firm Dale & Lessman, told MJ Biz Daily, In a recent instance, a marijuana retailer in Alberta was found to have violated the province's Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis Commission's advertising guidelines. Finkelstein said cannabis companies used to always check every marketing idea in advance for compliance, but fewer businesses do now. He suggested that might be partly because there's been a history of non-enforcement against more questionable marketing conduct, and that's led many cannabis companies to think, I guess these are things I'm able to do because I don't see anyone getting in trouble for it. Finkelstein also chair of the firm's cannabis group, warned businesses to heed complaints from the public. The best thing that can be done from a risk mitigation standpoint is to avoid forums that are more likely to be seen by families or parents, he said. We've dealt with clients who wanted to take a few chances with advertising at festivals or with maters that kids may see. If you're family-facing, potentially that's more likely to yield a complaint than if you were in a forum where kids are less likely to see it and parents are less likely to answer questions from their kid on why it's there and what it means. David Hyde, CEO of Hyde Advisory and Investments in Toronto, said there are more desperate licensed producers than ever, which is leading to more complaints about rival companies. Hyde cited market issues such as a lack of liquidity in the market, the inability to raise capital, price compression, higher taxes, and fees levied on cannabis businesses. It's become real difficult as more people enter the market, he said. It's become virtually impossible to survive for LPs that aren't dialed in. Hyde said licensed producers that fail to differentiate themselves from rivals end up cutting corners to gain any edge they can over competitors. Many of them have to do things like skirt advertising rules, skirting restrictions on sampling, paying off retailers, whatever it is. A lot of them realize they have to really push their boat out and take risks, he said. That's leading their competitors, who are also barely surviving, to cry foul since they aren't breaking any rules or crossing any lines, even though they're desperate as well. There's much more bad actor activity going on, and LPs are more prone to snitch on each other because it helps level the playing field. Right now, it's desperate times. And that story from Matt Lamers at mjbizdaily.com on the rivalry in the cannabis world creating some new tensions. Once again, let me thank you for being a listener of the Cannabis Podcast. I so appreciate the fact that you were here. If you would like to support in other ways, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash cannabispodcast There, if you feel so inclined and you like what you hear, you can buy me a doobie. Or you can go to patreon.com and you can become a Patreon. You'll find the links to all of those on the top right when you're on the show page. Thanks for being here. That's it for episode 131 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast 
Well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.